Just give Jesus a mighty shout. We are here to celebrate that there is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and we are here to receive it all today. And uh, I'm so blessed here this morning. I got my sugar-free mocha. That'll make your day good. But uh, I was really blessed, actually, on my way over here this morning. One of our good friends, uh, Robbie Dawkins, is in Afghanistan. And uh, he begun texting me a couple of days ago, and he said, you know, there's a couple of young, uh, you know, young ladies here. They're not even 13 years old, 14 years old, and they love them some Todd Bentley. They love them some Jesus more. And I said, in Afghanistan? And he said, yes, it would mean the world to them if you would do a little FaceTime and just, you know, pray for them and bless them. And so we've been trying for a couple of days, and it's like 8 o'clock at night in Afghanistan right now, and I said, I'm about to preach here this morning. And they just, you know, a little FaceTime in the car. And I was so blessed to be able to pray for young people in Afghanistan. Isn't that amazing? We were talking about Pakistan last night, and, you know, God is moving in these places right now. Get ready. It's going to open up in Iraq and Syria, and uh, these are some of the places that we want to get to, uh, you know, where the name of Christ hasn't been named. You know, Iraq is literally gone from having a large, you know, millions of population of Christianity down to Christianity being maybe one, two percent. So many got dispersed, so many got killed and uh, driven out of the country that Christianity is almost extinct now in places like Iraq. And they're going to be in need of major revival. And those doors are going to open up now. How many of you saw today on Fox, they officially came out with the report that victory is done and ISIS has been removed and they've taken over the Iraq-Syrian border, hallelujah, for the first time in three and a half years. And so there's going to be peace and stability and we're decreeing that that nations like this are going to open wide. And so we want to send our blessing and love for Robbie Dawkins in Afghanistan right now as he's working amongst the churches there. And uh, we thank you, God, for moving in that part of the world right now. We've been decreeing and prophesying revival in the Arab and revival in the Muslim world. When we were preaching in uh, Karachi a few weeks ago, Pakistan, we were literally within four or five hours of the Afghan border, and they said, we could get you into Afghanistan, and maybe the next mission. And that's kind of our heart, because these are the places that need to encounter and experience the love of God. This is where Jesus is appearing in dreams to a lot of Muslim people. You know it's the heart of God. It's our, it's the, our brother, right? The Ishmael. And uh, we tend to forget when we think, you know, as Christians, sometimes we have this us for versus them, Christian versus Muslim, and we have this idea about, oh God, don't send me to Iraq or Syria or, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, you know, uh, for sure we're not going to be able to, you know, survive that and all the security concerns and the ideas we have, right? And uh, we don't realize that these are the sons of Abraham. That if you want to talk about signs of the end and how do you know the Lord is really coming, uh, you have to look to you know Israel, of course, and you have to look to the Muslim world because outside of Christianity, that is the largest group of people that need to be reached with the love and the power of God and uh, come to know Jesus. And so I think it's revival happening right now in a lot of these places where Jesus is appearing in sovereign dreams and revealing himself because it takes the supernatural power of God to reach these kind of people. It takes miracle signs. 
signs and wonders to reach these people. And so I'm overjoyed this morning to hear reports of God moving in Afghanistan right now and uh, all the reports that are happening of God moving around the world. You know, my heart has always been, you know, people ask me about my end time, you know, theology and my eschatology and how do you really believe that Jesus is coming? Do you think we're close? I think we're closer and they said, well, what do you really believe about when he's coming and the rapture? And I said, well, one of my big beliefs is out of Acts chapter 3, 20, 21, you know, that heaven must retain, heaven must retain Jesus or the second coming until the restoration of all things. So I'm really a believer in the restoration of all things that God is going to restore. I'm also a really big believer in the fact that we should look to how great the revival is uh, in Israel as a sign of how close we might be to the end. And we've yet to see any national revival in Israel as far as awakening. Doesn't mean there's not, you know, people getting saved and a small percentage of Messianic Jews, but until the nation has revival, and I also know that America hasn't had theirs yet, a third great awakening. So I just really not a, you know, a believer that the Lord's going to return anytime quickly without revival happening in America and revival happening in Israel. And we might be on that road and that path more than ever now, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital and there's things that are in motion. But I've always been a big believer that two great signs that the Lord was coming again. You know, we talk about, well, you know, famines and wars and rumors of war and, you know, all these things that the Lord might be returning. And that seems to be a lot of people's focus. And I'm like, don't be in a hurry, Lord. You know, no man knows the hour, but you desire that none perish, but all come to repentance. I'm not really in this hurry to get out of here kind of guy thing. You know, I may not be, and I probably won't be uh, in the generation that's alive when the Lord returns. And that disappoints a lot of Christians sometimes. We tend to believe that we are the last of the last of the last of the last day, that we're going to be on the earth when the Lord uh, comes, and I just don't think we will be. And that's a hard thing for Christians sometimes, because we don't want to face the idea of death, or we don't want to believe that really that's what we're scared of. But we can't have any fear of death. When your anchor and your hope is in the resurrection, there is no fear of passing from one world to the next. That's what the whole message of the cross and the resurrection, uh, you know, should I be wrong? Praise God. The Lord will come when he wants to. I just want to be ready and live ready and tell people to live ready. But I do look at signs. And one sign for me would be revival, harvest, awakening Israel. To think that the Lord would come and they've yet to have any great revelation of Christ yet that the Messiah has even come. I think there's going to be a great sweeping revival through Israel in the Arab world. And I think there's going to be a great move of God in America. I think we're going to see a third great awakening where millions are going to be swept up into the kingdom in places like, you know, not just America, but Europe and all these other Western countries. You think Australia, Canada, almost every Western nation has yet to come into revival. And that's the Lord's desire, that none perish but all come to repentance. So he's equipping and raising up harvesters and laborers and burning ones and messengers of fire and power now to send out into the fields. And it will be, I believe, in our day, in our generation, that we will be a part of the great stadium revival, the great harvest, the awakening, and there could be more people saved in one move in 10 years than 2,000 years of Christianity combined. I mean, think of the acceleration. You would have never dreamed or imagined, you know, just 10, 15 years ago, meetings of a million, 
two million, three million people in Nigeria. You would have never dreamed of the technology, the media, the social media, the tools that we have to reach people today. Um, There's just an explosion on the earth, and it's happening in a lot of these different countries like Africa and Southeast Asia. But I'm telling you, the move of God is coming to America. It's coming to Europe. We need to mobilize, prepare the way. And uh, I'm very encouraged to pray and say, I believe that uh, Israel is well on its way to outpouring and revival. How many are praying for the harvest here? Revival Harvest America? Yes, Lord. Amen. So I don't know why we got on all that, but hallelujah. From Afghanistan to that. Praise the Lord. I'm just such a happy guy today. Any other happy people in the room today? Yay. Shababa shatoshkaba shando. We want to move the Holy Ghost today, Lord. Not just this morning, I mean today, right into tonight. We don't want to stop. Whatever you're going to pour out, it doesn't mean you won't be able to stop and have lunch and just keep going. But we thank you, Jesus, for the outpouring today of the Holy Ghost. We are lovers of your presence. We are in need of Holy Ghost wine and fire. We are in need of encountering you and your goodness We thank you for a very tangible, transferable healing anointing. We're praying this morning that the healing anointing would be tangible, that it would be transferable, that we would be impacted, that we would be carriers, that our hands would be hands that would bring healing, deliverance. Lord, I thank you right now for pouring out in this place healing oil. I thank you that there would be power, the power of the Lord present to to see miracles happen in our midst, to to decree and declare miracles and healing and full recovery right now, Lord, without any limitations right now. I thank you that we would begin to be filled and receive and begin to walk in an atmosphere for miracles, an atmosphere for miracles. Now, some of what I wanted to talk about this morning is building an atmosphere for miracles, preparing an atmosphere, hosting an atmosphere for miracles. Some of the keys that I've learned about how to get ready to minister and work with Holy Spirit, partner with Holy Spirit to see people set free and healed. And I've wrote down a few thoughts So I'm not here to say that I've got, you know, seven or ten, you know, special secrets or keys, but I'm going to share a little bit out of my experience in nearly 20 years of healing ministry, preaching and believing the full gospel. The fact that there is healing in the covenant, healing in the atonement, that we need to believe God that after the forgiveness of sins, that a part of being redeemed and recovered and saved is that we're going to be healed too. That he made full provision for our healing. And that's something we need to expect and have in this lifetime because there's no need to be healed in heaven. We need to accept the full blessing, the full price, the full work of the finished work of the cross. And we should not want to come short of any of it. In the same way that he suffered and uh, paid the price for our sin and shed his blood, we know that he was also, you know, suffered and took the same price for our healing. So for us to not be healed or expect to be healed or pray to be healed would be an offense to God for the full price that he paid on the cross. And that could be said of the same of, you know, prosperity or, you know, wholeness and blessing and the favor of God. So I'm a real big believer that, you know, healing is more than validating or a confirming sign. It's more than just, you know, 
approving a message or a messenger that we could settle the issue of, you know, the love of God would be enough of a reason for God just to heal people. You know, if you wanted to ask the question, why does God heal? Many years ago, I did a school, and I I actually did a session on 30 reasons why people can expect to be healed. I actually did a study, and I thought, Lord, let me find as many reasons in the Bible why I can assure people that it is the will of God to heal them outside of the top, you know, three, four ideas that we might have when we expect or talk about why God heals people. And I ended up coming up with 30 reasons why God will heal you. Of course, the number one reason was the love of God. That the love and the compassion of Jesus is enough of a reason. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't need any any other reason outside of love as a motivation to get you set free and healed. That's when I became convinced. Is when I saw the love of God and, and I realized the love of God was enough and it wasn't, you know, a formula. You know, sometimes as evangelists, we preach in these, you know, crusades and we have this, well, you need to give your life to Jesus kind of first and then you need to make all these, renounce this and we got these five steps and break the roots of of sickness and, you know, remove all these curses and then you can be healed. It's almost like we hold it out there. If you get saved today and come to the altar and get saved, you can be healed. And I see the Lord just in his sovereignty, in his love, just kind of healing people that don't deserve to be healed. And even after they get healed, they stay unbelievers sometimes. I literally had people in Pakistan weeks ago that, you know, were, 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 were not saved, Muslim, that were totally healed by the glory of God. God opened up their deaf ear or opened up their son's blind eye, and they said, we're going back to the mosque and we're Muslim. And I thought, Lord, you healed them. And that had nothing of my own strength and power. You and your love and sovereignty just reached down and delivered them and set them free. And I don't think it was just because God was showing the rest of the people. He was reaching everybody with, you know, the sign. I think it was just the love of God. The sun gets to rise on the just and the unjust. Isn't that the goodness of God? That every day you wake up, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the goodness of God can be experienced and encountered by the unbeliever. And that kind of messed around with my sozo theology. You know, the whole idea that what it really meant to be saved or what it really meant to be sozoed, body, soul, spirit, the whole idea of that salvation in its entirety meant more than just salvation in the sense of I'm, in, I'm going to heaven, but that you can be totally healed, totally delivered. And, and I thought, well, Lord, if they get saved, then they can be healed and they get covenant benefits and covenant rights and, you know, should I take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs? I thought, well, they, they have the right to the bread now. They're children. And then I saw the love of God just kind of reach out and touch people and heal people anyways. His goodness. And then I ended up doing another search on healing, and I came up with 30 reasons why people don't get healed. Not just your, your typical, well, you know, unbelief, sin, kind of the go-to things that what hinders healing, what are the roadblocks, and I came up with 30 reasons why people don't receive their miracles. And today, I want to share a little bit about what I call just keys or things that I've learned about working with and partnering with Holy Spirit to see see people set free and see people healed, because that's what we're passionate about. They got healing rooms happening in the building right now, and I know this is a ministry that goes after it. And believes God for the fullness of the gospel. And so let's believe the Lord's going to take us to the next level of breakout in the area of healing. Especially this next year. That we could see more people healed. That we could say, thank you God, by the end of the year, we have thousands healed. We should be able to go for that kind of stuff.
I love putting out challenges. You know, I would put it out for my interns. You know, a few years ago I was preaching and I was really bothered and convicted by the fact that I didn't see people coming to the altar getting saved and no real evangelism as far as, you know, salvation goes. And the Lord said, what are you doing to be intentional? Taking it outside of the four walls and loving people and ministering. And, and you really want to see the harvest? I said, yes, Lord. And I gave a challenge, a thousand soul challenge, that we could see a thousand souls saved. 17 interns. We could take it out every day, 90 days, the power of God, lead people to Jesus, you know, in the Starbucks, in the restaurants, in the malls, on the streets, if we wanted to. Not just pray for the harvest, but be available three times a week. We did outreaches. We were intentional about, okay, we're going to gather at the bus stop at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. We're going to gather Friday night in the, in the inner city. We're going to take teams out on Saturday. And we were intentional about it. It wasn't just kind of a get-to Sometimes we pray for the harvest and then have no plan of action. I really believe that the church is lacking the supernatural just because we don't have room. It's not that we need to pray for more anointing and more power, but, you know, opportunities and being faithful. We've got to have a plan of action. God doesn't move in healing for sick people that you don't pray for. You know, people are like, I want the healing anointing. And I said, well, when are we going to the hospital? What are you planning over the next seven days to be intentional about taking the healing anointing you are going to receive and have opportunity to do something with it outside of being on the ministry team and praying for the same people everybody else prays for? Because if you're looking for the church to give you the opportunity to move in your gifts when they were never intended for just the church to regurgitate one to another. Same could be said about prophecy. Same could be said about any other gift. They were meant to, to also be used in the world and in the marketplace. And if we have no intention or plan of action to do anything with what God gives us in the anointing impartation meetings, then we just don't receive. You know, we use it we, we, or you lose it. And so I always tell people, what's the plan of action? What's the plan of action? I, I intentionally sit down with my team every year and, and set out the crusades I want to do. They're like, well, how do you know where God's sending you? How do you know where God's calling you? Well, he said, go into all the world, and I kind of want to do that. So I sit down with my team, and I just set the calendar out, and I put down the crusades I want to do, believing that God's going to meet me. And then I set down the cities in America I want to have revival crusades in, and then I believe God's going to meet me. I don't, I don't go, I had a word for, you know, God called me to Africa and, you know, I got a healing anointing like you do, or God spoke to me, you know, that I would move in miracles like Catherine Coleman and see stadiums and arenas and he was going to call me into the nations. I go, well, when was that? And they go, 17 years ago. And I said, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for the Lord to show me. And I was like, he's not going to show you and you're not going to do it until you sit down and decide, just like you plan a family vacation, to actually go out and do something for 10 days or two weeks and go into the field. Then you'll be amazed. God will show up and do everything that he told you he would do. Because you'll have opportunity to be able to see the works of Christ. It's really that amazing. I tell people practically all the time, the reason you're not seeing your unfulfilled kingdom vision and dream is you have no steps no keys, no plan to help work together with what God has already said and given you to see it come to pass. Yeah, and here's a ridiculous point I make. So if you, I'm going with, you know, with my family this Christmas, we're going to do Disneyland. My kids are all going to come down and we're all going to meet. My oldest daughter's 21 and I've got a 17-year-old, 18-year-old all the way down to two and a half. And so we're going to, you know, do Disneyland. Why? Because I want to. I'm going to do a family vacation. I don't have to pray about it either. 
It'd be ridiculous if I told you to pray about it. So you want to, you know, do something radical in missions and you're called to the nations and crusades and harvests and God gave you the word. And what are you praying about? Get your passport and plan a vacation. Except for do it in Pakistan or Africa or Mexico or Haiti or where there's plenty of churches and ministries that say, come change the world with us. I tell people all the time, I'll give you all the opportunity you want and you'll preach. So now you can't say you can't fulfill what God's called you to because I'll intentionally make it happen. Because I'm convinced that's the way the gospel works. It's a gospel of action, of movement. And so many of us in churches today, if I, if I talk to everybody in the room, have so many ideas about what they're called to and, and they got their kingdom vision, their kingdom dream. And sure, there's a, a sovereignty thing, but I think God's more willing to partner together to see you walk in what he's already anointed you to do now. And you just got to be faithful in whatever opportunities he's presented intentionally. I used to go out to the streets and preach by myself four hours a day because that's just how much I wanted it to preach the gospel to the lost. I'd go to the skateboard parks. I'd go to the malls by myself every day just because I wanted to reach people that much. I was convinced I was called to be an evangelist, but I didn't have any churches, invitations, opportunity, so I just went and made them happen. And really, we need to think that way. We know it. We heard that. That's not any great revelation. But for many of us that are just kind of sitting back and sitting on our unused talents. And the reason we are is we've over-spiritualized. Well, I need to get a witness or a fleece, and I'm praying about it. It's it, Literally, the whole praying about it is just, a, I think, an excuse sometimes to not really move forward with what God's already given us. You know, we go more anointing, more power. For what? If you're going to pray for people, you, you know, power's going to happen. Here's another thought that I had. Think about a car for a moment. A car has a battery. And this is an amazing, you know, thought that I heard from Reinhard Bonnke, an evangelist. He talked about how the Christians, you know, are constantly in need of another touch or another filling. And I'm, I'm a believer in being filled, and being touched and being blessed, but I'm also a believer in staying full and how that works. Think of a car with a battery for a moment, and if you didn't use that car or, you know, the battery died or something, you might need to get a charge. And when that battery, if you're driving the car, as long as the car's in motion, the battery stays full and charged. But should you turn the car off and park it again, the battery may die, especially if you have an issue with your alternator or the, the charging system which most Christians do. They don't build themselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in tongues, generate. But for the most part, staying full requires moving or movement. As long as the car is in motion, the battery stays charged. Christians that don't stay in motion doing the works of the kingdom are in constant need of another jolt, in constant need of another charge. By the time I got to the end of the service last night at almost midnight, and I had prayed for everybody and prophesied, by the time I got to the end, I was more full than I was in the beginning. I don't leave empty and need to get filled up again. I leave meetings charged and full. In fact, the anointing gets stronger as I go. By the time I get to the end, it could be stronger than I did in the beginning for those that were here at 1030 and missed what happened at 1130 when I really started to prophesy. That's when the anointing really gained momentum. 
I call it the momentum of breakthrough. I do better with the momentum of breakthrough and the momentum of healing than I do go, 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 stop. Go, 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 stop. I do better in just constant moving. And, and once I get into a place where people are getting touched and healed, I need to just keep that inertia, that's what I call it, keep stewarding that anointing because when it moves, I stay full and replenished. It's when the car is not in movement that the battery needs to be charged and, and filled again. And as Christians, we're in constant, well, God, give me the baptism today and I need to be full because I just need another touch. But we have no plan of action tomorrow. We have no plan of action next week. And if I said, well, who are we going to pray for? We might, you know, we'll probably pray for somebody at church. I always tell people, when you receive, you should immediately use what you receive as quickly as you can. If that means today in the restaurant, last week or two weeks ago, I did a school of power evangelism and I commissioned all our students in the school after teaching, you know, for, you know, 20 hours on evangelism. I said, you better do something in the restaurant today. Everybody needs to get a word of knowledge, minister to their waiter or their waitress, pray for somebody or else all this impartation is just kind of nothing. And so I went out to the Indian restaurant and I brought our worship leader and I brought our team and then the Lord said, you know, you need to do this too. You can't just teach it and preach it and, you know, you need to do this too. And so I thought, well, what do I do, Lord? Well, here comes our waitress. Man, better get a word from heaven. So I just kind of popped in, got a word from heaven, said, there's something about your, 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 somebody in your family right now and I got this pain in my heart. And she said, my grandfather just left the hospital and he's got a, a rare heart condition. She breaks down in tears. We pray for her demonstration of the love and power of God. Why? We just kind of stopped in the busyness of everything that we're doing, consciously checked in, got a word from God, ministered his love, and went on and ate lunch. And I I think many of us fail to see the gifts move and manifest because we fail to just take that moment and check in and just be available to whatever God's doing and saying in the busyness of whether we're having lunch or Starbucks. It really is that simple. That's not going to be my whole message today, but that's just kind of a, an encouragement to get outside of the four walls and you will see more miracles. You will see more healing. I believe God's will is for the church to have healing, of course. The prayer of faith will save the sick. But I think the church should be so blessed and healed already that we have to take it out. If we really had a full revelation of what it means to be saved, healed, and delivered, we'd all be healed and we wouldn't just be ministering healing to us. As much as God wants us to get healed and pray for healing for one another, really the reason for miracles in the, in the New Testament was always great multitudes came to hear the word of God and be healed. It was always about the unbelievers. It was always about, so I tell people all the time, why are the miracles greater in Pakistan? I don't know, 98% of the crowd are unbelievers. Why are the miracles so much greater amongst the unbelievers? Because they're the ones that need the demonstration and the evidence and the power of God. So just an automatic to see more healing in your life requires more getting out to where people don't know Jesus. We have made the ministry of healing safe in the sense of it's just in our altars. We've made the prophetic the same. And every other gift within the comfort of one another, the ministry team, the church, and we need to start thinking outside of the box, creative ways. Like I had this woman years ago, she was a businesswoman, you know, made a lot of money, she was like 60 years old, and really felt convicted that she wasn't doing enough to reach people outside of the church. She had been in church all her life, so she didn't know how to have sinners as friends. 
And she wasn't called to go into all the world and do crusades in Pakistan or Africa. She said, man, what am I going to do? And the Lord gave her a strategic idea. He said, set up a, a, you know, go to the flea market every week. They got a a special kind of a flea market you can go to, set up a booth. And she set one up for free spiritual readings. You know, prophetic prophecy, dream interpretation, you know, set it up at the flea market every Saturday. People would come to her table and say, what is this? Free spiritual readings. And she would say, well, here's what we do. And she would pray over people and interpret their dreams and prophesy to them. She'd bring out ladies from the church and they would go to this flea market every Saturday and, and do spiritual readings, you know, prophecy. And every time they would lead people to Christ, she had 650 salvations because she was intentional and already a prophetic intercessor for years, but she just got tired of of using the gift one to another in church. And she said, I got to have something more creative. And so she asked the Lord and the Lord gave her a creative idea. He's got a creative idea for you. He's got one for me. For me, I had to start on the streets. I had to start at the skateboard parks. I had to start in the parking lot outside Walmart. I had to start just because I felt called and there was no open door for me in church or in ministry, as we call it. And then I still set out my calendar every year and I just decide, well, let's do Madagascar. I didn't have a Macedonian dream. I have those too, but I didn't have a Macedonian dream. I'm just deciding, hey, what works for me? October, I'm going to do Madagascar. Praise God. And if in the midst of my going, the door closes, you know, I'll just change direction, go somewhere else. And if the door closes again, then God will give me a Macedonian dream. And he'll say, hey, come preach the gospel here. And when God gives those, that's even, you know, more powerful. The Lord mandates you and, and commissions you and, gives you the vision and the provision. It was, uh, you know, not even two years ago. It was last year, November. The Lord uh, spoke to me. He said, I want you to feed a nation. I said, feed a nation? I had just got done preaching in Mexico. You know, we spent all our money on two stadium crusades. It was a Tuesday night. I was preaching in Canada. And I had just come back from Mexico. And I heard the Lord say to me on a Tuesday night, what are you doing about all the hungry, starving kids in Malawi? And I said, Malawi, like, like that's not, there's plenty of other starving kids in plenty of other countries and nations. Why am I, why are you talking to me in Hamilton, Canada (laughs) on a Tuesday night about starving hungry kids in Malawi? I mean, there's surely there's other ministries that kind of do this, you know, food for the hungry children and ministries on the ground in, in Malawi. And I felt the Lord really challenged me about how many kids can you feed? And I kind of got up and gave this word and, you know, God's speaking to me about Malawi and the greatest famine. There was a famine and uh, being one of the poorest, if not the poorest country in the world. And the Lord began to challenge my heart with, you know, feeding kids. Can you feed a thousand and put a challenge out? And, and I did. And it ended up becoming like literally a feeding movement, feed Malawi. And we ended up feeding over 200,000 kids in Malawi, in Africa. And I went there, and in just one week, personally, just the team I had with me, we fed over 60,000 kids. And we, we had FeedMalawi.com. And literally, to this day, our partner ministry on the ground in Malawi still feeds kids seven days a week by the hundreds every week. And he's just amazing, you know. And so one word from God, one Macedonian call, and, you know, all the blessing and all the favor, we raised over $250,000 just feeding kids. But that was a command from heaven. They're far and few like that. 
The last time God ever told me anything like that, I was, you know, in my early 20s, and I was in um, Ecuador, Bolivia, actually, South America, preaching in Bolivia, Ecuador, and we were on what they call the world's dangerous road, you know, on a bus, and we had to go between the countries, and they said more people have died on this road than anywhere in the world. And uh, as we're driving along, the crusade's finished, and I'm quite exhausted, and I'm listening to my heavy metal music in my ears, 80s, rock and roll. I'm not being spiritual at all. You get the idea? I'm exhausted. I'm on the bus, and I'm on the world's dangerous road, and I, I got 25 people in the bus with me, and the Lord comes to me and falls on me, and he says, what are you going to do about all the starving, hungry uh, children in Mozambique? 400,000 people affected by flood and famine. And I thought, well, Lord, you know, what do you mean, what am I going to do? That's not my ministry. I'm not like a feeding humanitarian he goes, I want you to feed a nation. And I ended up, you know, make a long story short, it, the, the whole cost, the budget was going to be about a million dollars. And I had committed to like a five-ton truck, two orphanages, going to work with Heidi Baker, Irish Ministries, and we're going to go into the refugee camps. We're going to take the airplane, fly into the bush and preach. And I said, God, I need a million dollars. And I started to put the vision out and just, you know, didn't raise a lot of money. And I got to, you know, the last day, within 24 hours of my commitment to Heidi Baker, whether we were going to do the mission, Mozambique, Malawi. And I said, God, I don't have a million dollars. I don't know that I have $4,472 in my missions budget. So you feel a little limited sometimes, you know, money. And so I said, what am I going to do, God? He said, you're going to go out into that meeting tonight in Mount Ephraim, New Jersey with 200 people. You got Don Potter and Bobby Connors. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to give them all your money. And you're going to take the offering, because if it's not going to meet your need, it's going to be seed. And you're going to trust me. I said, God. So I did. I just, you know, did that meeting and, you know, ended up with the 4,472, 73, and didn't have any, just gave it all away. The next morning, I got a phone call from a businessman out of the blue. Never had a phone call like this in 18 years. Here's my one phone call. Mr. Bentley, do you still need a million dollars? And I said, yeah, I need a million dollars. He said, done. We were given a million dollars and we went into Malawi, Mozambique. We fed over 400,000 children affected by the floods, the famines, and did crusades in Mozambique, Malawi in the bush. But God, when it's a Macedonian call and it's, you know, a mandate from heaven, he's going to bring the provision. But most of what I do that's missions or healing. Is just because I want to and I get to, and he said, go. I believe there's people that are in this room right now sitting on unfulfilled kingdom visions and dreams and gifts and talents and anointings because of failed opportunity. Or just our idea of what we think it looks like. God wants us to heal the sick. And so we need to find sick people to pray for. Or we're not going to receive the healing anointing. When God knows there's intention to use what he gives you is when he gives us more. That's always been my principle. I said, as quickly as you get it, use it. If you get to pray for one person today outside the meeting, there's plenty of people to pray for in the mall, in the restaurant, in the market, then at least demonstrate. That's where you really take ownership of what God gives you. So I want to share a couple of things here this morning, and I want to mention one thing. I do have our uh, miracle school. Healing Signs, Wonders, Miracles in the bookstore. This is a full ministry school. 
We're talking 30 hours of training, equipping, teaching on the words of, you know, word of knowledge, breaking generational curses, uh, the ministry of Sozo, of course, and all the other stuff that you could love about healing. 30 reasons why miracles do and do not happen. All that in this study guide, almost 200 pages. If you want to be a student of revival and you want equipping, training for the ministry of healing, it's great to use in your uh, small group, Bible school. You know, if you're just hungry person, passionate of the word, this is one of my original schools. I've done eight schools now like this with study guides. So this is available and there's a, a special available in the bookstore if you go today and you can ask about the miracle school, the healing school, line upon line, 30 hours of teaching, 18 lessons. And so, you know, that'll be great to get you going. Hallelujah. And so, you know, anyways, this morning, um, I want to talk a little bit about building an atmosphere for miracles. Building an atmosphere for miracles. And one of the greatest keys the Lord give, has given me is boldness. The importance of boldness in the ministry of healing and miracles. And if you have your Bible here, I want you to turn to Acts 4. I love doing morning meetings where I get to teach a little bit. Turn to Acts 4. And I want to kind of just highlight something about boldness. And the importance of boldness in the ministry of healing and miracles. So we get to Acts 4 and we read in verse 1 and 2. I'm in the Gospel of John. Let me get over to Acts 4. It says in verse 1, they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, the Sadducees. The religious spirit came upon them. There's opposition. And the reason the Spirit came on them was because they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now I want you to look at, I don't know what your translation says, but mine says they preached through Jesus. Another translation. They preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. I mean, what does that even mean, that they preached in or through Jesus? I believe that was very prophetic preaching, that it was in the manifest presence of God, depending upon the Spirit of God to move them to preach. And it wasn't just any message, it was the resurrection. And it seems to me that they were preaching the resurrection. If you read on in Acts 4.33, it says, with great power, they gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They literally were able to demonstrate with power the resurrection. They gave witness. Not with just power, but great power. Great dunamis, dynamo, explosive, mighty power, ability to do miracles is how they gave witness to the resurrection. And I looked up the word witness, like giving witness to the resurrection. The word witness means evidence. They brought evidence that Jesus was risen from the dead. Now, how would you bring evidence today, 2,000 years later? The same way that Peter and John brought evidence. When they went up to the temple, the ninth hour, you read in Acts 3 that there was a crippled man, lame from birth, at the gate called Beautiful, begging, asking alms. This is the story I love where Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Do you remember the story? And the man was healed, crippled from birth, lame from birth, 
There's a lot I could say about that story. My favorite part, you know, in Acts 3, 7 is Peter saying, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have. So bold, so confident, identity, you know who you are and what you have. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give you. And that could be, you know, said of Peter that he was proud, arrogant, you know, it's the Lord. Humility, meekness, it's not something that you have. You know it's Jesus that does the miracles. But Peter was pretty confident that he had something. That he knew who he was, he knew what he had, and he knew that he was the gatekeeper to release what he had. It wasn't just depending upon God's sovereignty. That Peter was an equal part or partner with God in releasing God's power. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. I'm a releaser of God's power. In the name of Jesus. And the man gets healed. And later they're put on trial for it. Beaten, persecuted, arrested. Y'all remember the story? So when you're in court, you need a good like a defense attorney. Because you're now on trial. Because of a notable, remarkable miracle has been done. And at this point, the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day don't even try to deny that the miracle happened. Today, we just have a whole, you know, skeptical, unbelieving type spirit that even if we said this man was healed, people want to dispute the claim and and do away with the whole idea that miracles happen. Well, the religious spirit of the day, you know, 3,000, then there were 5,000 in Solomon's porch saved, couldn't deny, so we need to come up with a better plan here. Because the miracle was so spectacular and obvious, we're not going to try to you know, do away with the idea that people get healed. We, we got to deal with the fact that the guy was healed. But we got to come up with some game plan. Here's what we'll do. Opposition, persecution, and threats. We'll shut this thing down. And so Peter and John have to come and give witness because they preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And the Bible went on to say, and with great power, they gave witness. They gave evidence to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. How do you give evidence? They brought the man that was crippled that the gate called beautiful, and they said, this man stands before you totally whole. I believe we're not giving witness to the resurrection if we're not giving witness with signs, wonders, and miracles. Our witness today, 2,000 years later, of the resurrection, what makes Jesus and Christianity any different than any other religion, is the fact that this man was dead. And he stands before you. This man was blind and he sees. This man was dead. We got all kinds of Easter Sunday resurrection, second coming Jesus resurrection sermons and no demonstration. So we're not giving witness with great power. The reason that we have power is to be a witness and to bring evidence like you were on trial. Now this was important to Peter, so much so that when Peter and John were beaten, persecuted, threatened, and forbidden to teach and preach in the name of Jesus, they responded in this way. They gathered the church in Acts 4, 29, if you read on. They said, we need to pray, guys. Here's what's happened. We just got out of jail and prison. There's a new law. We're forbidden to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. You will be beaten, persecuted, and put in prison. So let's pray for some more of that stuff that got us in trouble in the first place. Let's ask God for more, to stretch forth his hand to heal. You remember the prayer? 
that God would stretch forth his hand to heal, that signs and wonders would be done through the holy name of his servant Jesus. That's what Peter said, we need to pray. And here's what I thought for a moment. Why would you ask God to stretch forth his hand to heal when the chapter before you just were used in one of the most spectacular, notable, remarkable miracles? Obviously, you've got it. And if you read in Acts 2 and Acts 3, it says signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. So we know there was a culture of signs and wonders happening, Acts 2. But then by the time that you get to the Acts 4, where they were filled again, right? The place where they prayed was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. They went from Acts 2, Pentecost, to Acts 4. And in between there, those months or years between Acts 2 and 4, signs and wonders were done. And one example would be Peter and John at the gate called Beautiful, giving witness to the resurrection that this man was healed. So now the persecution comes, and Peter says there's such a need. This is how important the message of signs and wonders are. When we gather the church together, we're going to say, Lord, behold their threats, and grant to us your servants that with all boldness we may preach your word. We will bow down in fear without courage if you don't grant to us supernatural anointing of boldness. Peter realized, you know, he had already bowed down three times to a servant slave girl and denied the Lord three times. He said, man, I don't want to do that again. The righteous are as bold as a lion. We better pray, Lord, behold their threats. We're not going to be in denial that there's not threats and opposition and persecution and resistance to preaching the gospel. But we are going to depend upon God to grant us boldness. Now, how does God give us the boldness? By stretching forth your hand to heal. That signs and wonders may be done. Listen, healing signs and wonders will make you bold. People go, why are you going into Pakistan? All those, you know, terrorists and, you know, the security concerns. And there are security concerns to preaching in a country like the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. But I'm emboldened by the miracles. God stretches forth his hand to heal and he grants to us boldness. Somebody said to me, why do you make the message of miracle signs and wonders such an important message? I said, well, let's go back to Peter, the first pope. How important was it to Peter and John to give witness with miracle signs and wonders? Why should we be any different today? You know, the church thinks we can get better by, by, you know, some friendly, safe, seeker-friendly, without power and miracles want to reach the wider, we'll just have lights and music and entertainment. Not that any of these things are wrong. But if there was such a need for the first church to depend upon God's power for boldness and miracles, why should we be a witness in any difference? Are we really a witness of the resurrection? Are we really preaching the resurrection? Not just Easter, not just second coming, not just resurrection sermons. But what does it mean to give witness to the resurrection? Are we giving evidence? Because the notable, remarkable miracles? In Pakistan, we gave evidence. Not one, but three people raised from the dead. I said, here's evidence. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 650,000 Muslims saved. Because miracles were the evidence. We need to become as dependent as Peter and John were 
on Holy Spirit, grant to us boldness, because boldness is a key to miracles. I don't know of any faith evangelist over the years, Smith Wigglesworth, Jack Coe, A. Allen, that didn't have radical boldness, willing to take risks. I was in a meeting one time in Alberta, Canada, and a sweet woman was brought to me that was so crippled up with arthritis, she just kind of shimmied up to the stage. She could barely walk. They had her on a walker, you know, kind of like the pulpit I have here. They had to carry her up onto the stage, which was probably three times as high as the stage we have here. It was in like a school gymnasium. And I got her up on the stage, and I saw how in pain she was. She flinched in pain, so crippled up. And when she got to where I was, I heard the Spirit of God say to me, tell her to go to the edge of the stage, don't pray for her, and tell her to jump off. And I thought, Lord, this is a lawsuit waiting. (laughs) And I became so bold, full of the Holy Spirit, I said, go to the end of the stage. And the Lord told me to tell you, you'll be healed if you jump off. And she shimmied up to the end and just kind of stood there for a few minutes. And I was thinking, Lord, this better be you. And I said, jump in Jesus' name. And she shook. And before she knew it, she leaped right off of the stage. And I cringed and everybody in the room cringed. And when she hit the ground, she ran. Boom. Totally healed by the power of God. Miracles don't happen without boldness. I told the story last night of the nine-year-old boy that I prayed for that was raised from the dead. The Lord had me slap him three times in the face. Now, I'm not saying that was boldness, but it took boldness to be obedient to do something so out of the box and radical. The fact that the boy was healed and 292,555 Muslims were saved should be where you're focused. Your focus shouldn't be on the fact that why would God have you slap somebody in the face three times? Trying to figure out the why sometimes. I don't understand why Jesus spit on the guy's tongue to get him healed. I don't know why he spit in the mud and put it on the blind guy and said, go wash in the pool. I don't understand why he spit in another guy's eyes that were blind. And then how about another blind guy showed up and the Lord said, hey, receive your sight. Now you're the guy the Lord said, receive your sight and you were healed. And then you're standing next to the guy that had mud and then the guy that had spit. And you're like, hey, what gives? We all had the same condition, same anointing, and you healed us. And I had the mud and had to go to the pool and I had to wipe the spit off my eye. And then you just had the Lord say, receive your sight. Same anointing, same sickness, but different methods. You don't go, I don't slap dead people in the face to get them raised from the dead. It's not like, you know, I don't take all their arms and bang them up and down and You know, whatever I did once, I don't make all the crippled ladies jump off the stage. But I've yet to figure out in the ministry of healing the whole idea of the methods that God uses sometimes to get people healed. I've yet to figure out why the Lord had me. There was a man in my meeting one time. He had a cancerous tumor, and the Lord said, punch him in the stomach. And I did, and the demon came out, and the tumor came out, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. Now, all my critics want to do is write about my violent ministry and the people that I kick and punch and slap because they don't get the working of the Spirit. They don't get the faith realm and, you know, the gift of faith. There's a boldness that comes upon you that you need for the more spectacular, notable, remarkable miracles. You don't need to be so bold sometimes praying for arthritis in the knee. But you need to be bold when you're pulling cripples out of wheelchairs. I had one meeting in Florida 
where we had 35 people get out of wheelchairs in one service. We had to pull them all out. 35 people, but they walk. We had one man in that meeting, 35 people crippled. One man was paralyzed from the neck down. First time I'd ever really seen anybody from the neck down paralyzed. Totally healed. Electronic wheelchair. Had one of those little mouth motor things. Totally healed by the power of God. Now last night I made reference to one of my favorite evangelists that were bold, Jack Coe. And he had 38 cripples. And I remember praying. I said, Lord, I want to see a day. I want to have 40 cripples just in one meeting. And the most we ever had that I've seen in America was 35. Emptied wheelchairs lined up in one service. And, you know, getting people out of wheelchairs or conditions where they've been kind of bound for a long time takes a little bit more boldness and, and getting behind people with the assurance that they could take their steps for the first time. Muscles have atrophied. They haven't used them. We get stuck in things that we grow used to. Especially when you pray for people. I had a child I prayed for born with no brain. Lived on life support. And was that way for most of his adult life. Was just kind of born that way. And I prayed maybe, you know, ten times in, in one period of time. And then got the report back that the brain grew back and the child was walking and talking. Now, it took all the way to this child's adult life for that brain. I said, God, you could have done that when the child was 1, 2, 5, 10, 20. We don't always understand, you know, the timing. But it is the will of God to bring healing. Never give up. Go after it. But boldness is one of the greatest keys I've learned. The second greatest key. And you see Jesus here now. Let's talk about this for a minute. How Jesus as a man, you you accept the fact that he was both God-man, but that he gave up all of his God entitlement and power and was amongst us as the Son of Man in every way human and yet without sin. Suffered, was tempted in every way, were tempted. You know, you just kind of accept the idea that though he was God, he was man. And as man, he did every miracle, every healing, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. When I think about that now, Jesus as a man, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, that I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead as a man. I have the same access to being dependent upon the Holy Spirit and power so that I can go about doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil. We know it was the ministry and the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Jesus as God, though he was God. It was Jesus as the Son of Man, empowered through Holy Spirit to bring healing to every sickness and every disease. And he said, you can do this too. That, that in a nutshell is my paraphrased, you can do this too. And everything about Jesus, he showed us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I want you to understand how the kingdom works with the Father. And, he, you know, there was more. When I, when I look at Jesus, I look at his prayer life. And I look at his intimacy and relationship with Father as key to miracles. Not just more gifts, more anointing, more power. But if we had the intimacy and the prayer life that Jesus had. He arose a long while before daylight and prayed. Often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Was on the mountain all night in prayer. And then we even got a few glimpses, didn't we? Especially in the Gospel of John, 
of what his intimacy and relationship and prayer life with the Father looked like. And this is what he wanted us to see and hear. He said, if you can have this relationship with the Father, you too can have this power in miracles. But we get so focused on the gifts and the anointing and the miracles, we don't have the kind of intimacy and prayer life that Jesus had. And not only the prayer life, think about this fact. Jesus had the Spirit without power. We, we can too. Paul called it that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So our capacity to receive and manifest and release fullness. So what's the hindrance? Why is it we're not as perfect as Jesus in bringing miracles and healing? That sometimes we, we barely have any real ebb or flow. And, and our theology doesn't quite line up with our experience, and we just keep going for it anyways. Praise God, never give up. But I asked the question one time. I said, Lord, why is it Jesus had the Spirit without measure and we seem to be so limited in our demonstration? Not in our theology, but in our experience. And the Lord said this to me. He said, well, Jesus was dependent, as dependent on Holy Spirit, same Spirit you've received that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you. Same spirit that John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, Paul the Apostle, all of them had. So there's no difference in opportunity and potential. But here's the difference. Jesus was perfect in obedience. The key to the power of God, not my will be done, your will be done. Your kingdom come, not my will be done. A surrender to the will of God and being totally dependent on Holy Spirit and perfect obedience. Obedience is hard because you learn obedience by the things you suffer. Obedience is hard because we're, you know, in our nature, selfish people. Jesus, it says, he would seek to do the will of God. He never missed doing the perfect will of God. He never missed an opportunity to deny himself. And to live a life that was totally you know, not selfish. He never missed an opportunity to deny himself and die daily. Man, I'm constantly about me. It, it's work to realize that, you know, prefer one another and lay down an argument or lay down an opinion or lay down an offense. You know, somebody cut you off on Starbucks. We get challenged every day to prefer and love and deny ourselves. But, you know, we get that flesh up on the throne, and then we want to move in power. Now, there's, there's the sovereign thing. There's the grace thing. That's a given. But Jesus learned obedience. He was perfect. Not my will, your will. I believe if we could be greater in our obedience and surrender, we could be greater in our ability to release signs, wonders, and miracles. That's my goal. Lord, help me deny myself, die daily, lay myself down, through the Holy Spirit, with Holy Spirit, so that I can manifest this power that you've given me. And part of being obedient was Jesus saying, I only do what I see, only do what I see. That means he would see. That's kind of a, Jesus only does what he sees. The Father doing. The Son does in like manner. Are we seeing do we do what we see? Are we taking time to see every day to see what the Father is doing? And when we see, we do. 
That's why I love the ministry of the word of knowledge. You never miss it. I would say 95% of the most notable, remarkable, spectacular miracles I've ever seen have come by me having a word of knowledge. Not my faith gift, the authoritative command, laying hands. Almost every spectacular, notable miracle, there was a word from heaven first. Right down to the nine-year-old boy raised from the dead in Pakistan. A word from an intercessor. That word from heaven gave me the strength and the ability and the confidence that the nine-year-old boy would be raised from the dead. Because an intercessor saw. Almost every major spectacular miracle I've ever decreed and declared has come from what I've seen and heard. Not that God doesn't heal in all these other ways. I want to say this today. For those of you that believe in the ministry, obviously, of healing and the authoritative command of the believer and the prayer of faith will save the sick and these signs will follow them who believe and we all get to have healing. I also believe According to 1 Corinthians 12, after Paul talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit, he kind of changes the language suddenly, and he says, are all apostles, are all pastors, are all teachers? And then he says, are all miracle workers? And I kind of stopped there for a minute, and I said, wait a minute, we just went from gifts, which the Holy Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit distributes as He wills. They're never yours, so the gifts of the Spirit. But because you possess the Spirit, you possess the ability at any moment the Spirit wills to have any one of those nine gifts, whether it's prophecy, word of knowledge, healing, miracles. But then Paul goes on and says, okay, guys, let's talk about mantles, offices, or all apostles. Of course not. Or all teachers, or all prophets. And he lists all the gifts, but he doesn't mention the evangelist. In fact, he calls the evangelist miracle worker. He changed the language from evangelist to miracle worker. And the Lord spoke to me one time. He said, listen, we all do healing, but it's not all the same. There are people that have a mantle of miracles. They are called to the gift of healing. It's like a, they're called to the office of the apostle, pastor, prophet. They're called to be a miracle worker. They are mantled and anointed. And I never saw it in the Bible before. I just thought it was, well, you know, the potential is there for all of us to kind of develop and have the gift of healing. And we all have the healing ministry of Jesus. And the Lord said, no, there's miracle workers. It's a class. It's, a, it's like an apostle. Are all miracle workers? Of course not, but some are. I believe A.A. Allen and Jack Coe were miracle workers. They weren't just faith ministries. I believe Benny Hinn, Catherine Coleman are miracle workers. I believe I'm a miracle worker. Now, not to exclude us from believing and expecting miracles and healing of every kind, but that was the first time I was reading the language of are all apostles, are all pastors, are all, t- are all miracle workers. And I thought, Lord, there's a literal mantle office for people called to the working of miracles. You need to believe God for that and desire that because the Bible says to desire spiritual gifts. Especially that you might prophesy, but every other gift is available by desire too. So you can desire the gift of faith. You can desire the gifts of healings. You can desire the working of miracles. And the Lord said desire, earnestly desire. Why desire what he doesn't want you to have? I think desire is the key to possessing. Hunger is the key. God doesn't invite you to desire what he doesn't want you to possess. I think I first desired the ministry of healing 
learned it and taught it by faith, and then got mantled for it. I'm convinced that today I have a gift of miracles and healing, but in the beginning I just had a faith gift working. And I desired the authoritative command of healing and the prayer of faith, and I just you know, did everything I could to be obedient to what I believed about healing and preached it. And then God would just move that way, His Word. But then the anointing came. And you can be anointed for miracles. Anointed for healing. But one of the greatest keys that I've learned about building an atmosphere for miracles, in addition to boldness, is obedience. I only do what I see the Father doing. That means we need to be seers. Not my will, fully surrendered. And I just kind of feel a shift in the atmosphere. Just go ahead and put your hand up for a minute. Say, Lord, thank you for the anointing, the atmosphere. The power of the Lord is present today to heal people. Lord, we thank you right now for power and virtue going out into the atmosphere. Reach up like you're grabbing a live wire. And you're just pulling down the power of God. Just connect in. Lord, we thank you right now for a mighty atmosphere, as it would be in heaven, should we stand before the throne. Let it be in this place today, as it is in heaven. Jesus was teaching and preaching in Luke 5, 17, and he said the power of the Lord was present to heal. He recognized a different atmosphere that day. You read on in Luke 6, 19, it says, and power went out from him and healed them all. Power was flowing. And everybody was healed. And yet there was another multitude with just one woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. Remember the story? Why was it that just one touched the hem of his garment and was made whole? Jesus said, who touched me? Power went out. Virtue went out. The woman was healed. And yet we get to Luke 6, 19, and it said, Power went out from him and healed them all. As many as touched the hem of his garment were made whole. The anointing became much more tangible, manifest, transferable. It was different in Luke 6, 19, Luke 5, 17, than it was in all the other places where the Lord released healing. Lord, I pray today for the ministry, the mantle of miracle workers. You can look it up yourself. I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Right after Paul finishes talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he begins to talk about are all apostles, are all prophets, are all miracle workers. There must have been those recognized in Paul's day that were actually miracle workers. That was their ministry. And some say that is the office of the evangelist. Because evangelist is only ever used twice in Scripture. Just two times the word evangelist. In every other place, they're referred to as the miracle workers instead of evangelist. Because really, with that gift, miracle signs and wonders kind of come built in. Preaching the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles. But the Lord said, there's an anointing for miracle workers. Let's desire spiritual gifts and pray today for the messengers of fire and power and miracle workers. Desire that. Now I'm going to give you a couple more thoughts and end the teaching part. 
and then we're going to go into ministry. We must see and acknowledge that there is these atmospheres that get stirred, right? Like the Pool of Bethesda. I love the whole story of the Pool of Bethesda, and it says at a certain time, nobody knows what time, but at a certain time, there was an ordained time that the angel came down and stirred the pool. A God-set time. And everybody knew there would be this time, this moment, where the atmosphere would be stirred and moving, and the angel would come down of healing and stir the pool of Bethesda. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. At a certain time, it was the angel that came and stirred the pool. Only when the pool was stirred or moved, troubled, could you step in and be healed. And I think so should it be today, that only when the Spirit of God is stirred, moved, and troubling, should we be able to open our mouth and say, let there be light, and there will be light. It's waiting for that moving of atmosphere or presence. When you pray for the sick and there's presence, it's just kind of different than just here's faith and I'm trying to bring miracles. If I could get you in presence, focused on presence, and I'm in presence, and then we pray, we might call that presence-based healing. Sometimes when I pray for people, I just got to kind of stop because I go from presence to gift. And I get tired and weary in gift because there's no refreshing in gift like there is in presence. So I have to stop in my gift and get back to presence. And when the glory comes back down, then I move in healing again. you understand what I'm saying? It's healing by glory. Healing by presence. The Spirit of God was moving, right? In Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form, void, darkness covered. It said the Spirit of God was hovering. Do you know what the word hovering means? Overshadowed. The Spirit of God was stirring, vibrating. And that's when God said, let there be light, and there was light. We try to confess and declare and decree miracles without the atmosphere, without the Spirit of God overshadowing or stirring or vibrating or hovering or moving. And we're saying, let there be, and we're speaking the bodies. You know, that's a faith thing. God moves. But what's even greater is when you move with atmosphere that's moving. That's why we got to learn how to build an atmosphere for miracles. It's all about hosting and receiving presence. And knowing when the presence has come and then doing things under the anointing, doing it under the glory. I love presence-based healing at a certain time. And I don't know what time, but Jesus was teaching and preaching and he stopped and he said the power's present. It just kind of showed up. And I've yet to, in my life, figure out in every sovereign move of God, revival, healing, atmosphere, I've yet to figure out what brings it. It's just like a sovereign thing. If I could make the power of the Lord present to heal, I would. There's things I've, I've learned about how to work with, you know, healing and partner and keys and different things that can help, you know, have me ready for presence, you know, worship or praise or fasting. Or, but I've yet to, when the atmosphere just happens in cities, where I'm in cities, and it could be extended times, 30 days up, you know, months, and the atmosphere just seems to come and stay for miracles. And people come into these atmospheres without any effort and get healed of the conditions you really work hard to see healed regularly, and God will just kind of do it. I, I mean, I told uh, Pastor Jim last night, I was in Canada last year, and I went to a place outside of Toronto called Hamilton to this small church for three days. And the atmosphere, the power of the Lord came, 
and stayed for five months. Five months. Not, not a service. And the anointing became so strong. I remember the first 21 days. You couldn't be in the atmosphere deaf or blind or crippled and not be healed. Literally, the meetings were so amazing that if you came in in a wheelchair with spina bifida, uh, spinal stenosis, uh, cerebral palsy, you would be healed before the worship was done without any prayer for healing. Literally, there were meetings where three people would just out of their wheelchairs and run around the building, and you would go to them and say, what happened to you? And they'd say, I've been crippled with cerebral palsy from birth, and something came over my body like energy, and I just felt like running, and I did. That happened, you know, over and over. I mean, I had a woman that was paralyzed from the waist down because she was working in the Twin Towers, 9-11. The Twin Towers came down. She was crushed in the rubble. They pulled her out. Broke her back in two places, was in a wheelchair for, you know, 17 years, all these years since 9-11. Got married. Her husband had to pick her up and put her in bed every night, wash her. He'd never seen her move, use her legs. Totally crippled. She was in a mall and heard about the revival. Came to the meeting. And by the, it was a Monday night. Came to the meeting, or Sunday night. Came to the meeting and was healed in the atmosphere before worship started. Like literally wheeled her into the building and her paralyzed crippled body was healed. She was up running around. The doctors called her in the next day. They said, we need to look at you. We know what you have two breaks in your spine. They brought back the x-ray, one of the breaks they couldn't even find. These were the kind of miracles. I mean, the Toronto Star, it was the largest paper in America, did a story. It got the attention of the media. Thousands came over those months. We had 2,000 people just saved on the streets. This was in Canada. And it was the greatest anointing that I've seen for miracles and healing reside over a city or a region outside of Lakeland, Florida, 2008, where the glory just seemed to come and just move in a spectacular way, and it didn't end with a service. It didn't end with a healing gift, a healing service. It just kept going for months, and the anointing was so amazing that we stopped counting after 100 deaf people were healed in Canada. And people would come into the meeting and, and tumors and stage four cancers. And we had in one night three blind people healed. I mean, one young boy, Cole, his name was Cole. He was nine years old. He was born blind. And the worship was happening and he started crying and God opened his blind eye without any effort. Then a woman doctor was healed and psychologist was healed and blind eyes were being opened without effort, without struggle, without even at times official like, hey, come to the altar. Let's pray for healing. And then we went on to just, you know, steward that. And I yet to this day know why there was a certain time and the angels seemed to come down and just stay for all those months. Why did that happen in Hamilton? Why did that happen in Lakeland, Florida? Why did that happen in, in South Africa? Healing Awakening South Africa was another revival I had. I went in for three days and stayed three months. Meetings that started with 200 became 5,000 a night. They put it on God TV, and you know, I said, God, why? Tongat, South Africa. Could Columbus be a pool of Bethesda? Is there any determining factor? Was it their prayer? Was it their fasting? Was it their repentance? I've yet to know to this day. And I didn't know in advance these revivals were even coming. I had one this year in Texas, East Texas. Lindale, Texas, stayed for 13 weeks, came for three days on Mother's Day weekend, stayed for 13 weeks, and the glory of God came in one service, a 
and just stayed for five months. They're still going, by the way. They're still in extended uh, meetings all year. They have not stopped. And they weren't always the biggest meetings. I mean, we might have on a Monday night, you know, max 500 people, which is a pretty big meeting. But the glory just kind of came and just stayed. And there were a few spectacular miracles, but it wasn't a healing revival. And there was nobody saved in five months. And I'm an evangelist. But it was a glory revival. It was an atmosphere. It was like worship would go on for hours, angels, prophetic song, and meeting, it, meetings for the most part every night, midnight, and the glory would just linger. We went seven days a week for 13 weeks. Never saw that coming. Lindell, Texas, I don't even know if they have a population of 2,000 people. And God just broke out in that little church. Because the power of the Lord was present. He was totally sovereign. And I have found the healing anointing to be sovereign. Who's hungry for that here in Columbus? You know, for something to be revival, it doesn't have to go on for days or weeks or months. It's not determined by how many services, how much time. When you talk kingdom as a lifestyle... But when there's these initial breakouts, I've had them last 30 days. I've had them last months. I'm going to pray today for miracle workers. We need to be about the moments of tangible healing, like Peter's shadow. You know that word shadow, Peter's shadow, comes from the word the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. I think it's Luke 1.35. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It says power from on high because she was overshadowed. That word overshadowed comes from the same word the Holy Spirit moved upon the face. Overshadowed in Genesis 1-2. Overshadowed is the same word. The idea is the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. You come under the shadow of his wings, you're under the shadow of the Almighty. No sickness, no plague, no disease, no evil shall come near you because you're under the tangible shadow of God's glory. You're under the cloud. God wants to re- release that cloud. That was Peter's shadow. It wasn't just his natural shadow. There was like a cloud. He was overshadowed and came under the glory of God. So much so, the tangible presence if the sick people were on beds and couches just for Peter to pass by, it said they would be healed. And, and to think that there's not special anointings for healing, right? God did it with Paul. Special, extraordinary miracles were done by the hands of Paul. That's not just a given, normal, everyday, faith point of contact thing, bring the aprons, bring the prayer cloths. I mean, we can pray in faith, but there was a special gift that Paul had to be able to release that transferable, tangible. It was called extraordinary, special, unusual miracles were done by Paul. The Lord told me Paul was anointed as a special miracle worker. So was Peter. Not that we don't go after it, but we need to you know, acknowledge the fact that there are anointings and graces that can come upon people for certain types of manifestations. 
I love the idea that God did. God, not Paul, God. God did special, extraordinary, unusual. It wasn't the normal of the day. It wasn't just all the other apostles and all the other Christian believers could pray over aprons and burkloss. We've made it kind of like a, you know, we got the holy water, we got the oil, we got the, we, we've kind of got these. We take principles sometimes without presence and try to make them work. Something we hear or see or a method and we try to make it work for us and it just doesn't. God is a God of not just principle but presence. One time I'm spitting on a blind eye, one time I'm, you know, punching a guy in the stomach, and another time I'm just holding and loving, and you just never know what you're going to get, because you're following the Spirit. And I feel the atmosphere building right now. How many could feel that? I'm not going to get into this, but here's one of my favorite scriptures on the culture of testimony. Let me just give it to you. One of my favorite scriptures on the importance of building an atmosphere for miracles to the culture of testimony. Now imagine all this teaching. You want to get the whole school, whole healing school. I'll tell you, you'll be equipped. But look at this, um, Nahum. Whoever preaches, you know, here's the scripture from Nahum. Forget that it's even in the Bible, one of the minor, small, and there's like revelation in there. One of my favorite scriptures. Are you ready for this? This is how to stay healed. Nahum 1.7, how to stay healed when you get your miracle. Listen to this. It says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. He will make an utter end of it, and affliction will not rise up a second time. Nahum 1.7, your sickness and affliction will not rise up a second time because the Lord will be a stronghold. Staying healed, maintaining your healing. Never seen that one before. The Lord just gave that to me recently, and I thought, wow, what a promise. Your affliction will not come back a second time. Because the Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust Him. He will make an utter end of it, and your sickness will not rise up a second time. He will make an end to it. All those days of trouble and affliction, He will make an end to it, and it will not rise a second time. Power in the promise of God, isn't there? Another great key, you can write this one down and study later, but it'll preach itself, so I don't need to spend any time on it. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's called the effective fervent. Most of our prayers aren't fervent enough to get anybody healed. You know, we try so hard to pray for a certain healing. We're going to pray for the deaf or pray for cancer or pray for the sick. But the fervent prayer. And then here's what else I've realized. Don't be so focused on praying for a specific condition or receiving that you forget about the anointing. It happens in my prayer lines all the time. Let me tell you the list. I, wait, i got one more thing. Wait, can God touch this? Oh, wait, i got a problem in my head. Oh, wait, my Aunt Sue. Oh, wait, Bob. And then pretty soon we work our way out of the anointing. And we don't realize the healing is in the healing anointing. 
It's not in any specific prayer. If we could be more focused on giving and receiving healing anointing, we would be healed of all conditions. There is no specific, well, I'm going to go after that thing in your knee and just pray for your knee to be healed. God, I pray for a new knee. You can do that, but there's something more about being in contact with the tangible anointing, and then your knee just recovers. We need to be focused on receiving and releasing healing anointing. There's the anointing, there's the anointing, there's the anointing. But we spend all our energy on, like, the prayer request. And by the time the person's done talking and telling you there are 38 diseases, there's no anointing left. <laughs> and, there's, and then they want to add in a few family members and stand in the gap and take it all the way down the line. And if they don't tell you, they think they can't be healed unless they're specific. And by the time they're done, you're so exhausted hearing any anointing you were going to go, bam, is just kind of gone. You know, you'll see me when I interview people. I'll be like, what happened? What's your name? What was the condition? What did you feel? Done. Bam. Next one. What did you have? What do you have? Because the anointing moves fast like that. You know, I don't drown it out with conversations. It's coming. Receive it. Bam, 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 bam. I don't draw it out. You know, who are you? Why are you here? Well, let me tell you, my name is Bob. I'm from Texas. And let me tell you what happened to you. And it's like, by the time they're done, I'm so done, the people are tired hearing. You got to kind of carry the whole room with you. People forget there's a room to carry. Not just that one person, your, your minister. I've learned a few things about how to receive and release the anointing for healing. And when it starts coming, I just release it. And I'm like, why are you here? Cancer. Bam. In Jesus' name. Move on to the next thing. The healing is in the anointing. It's not just in the prayer. I believe in prayer. I believe in intercession. I believe in all the other stuff that God uses. But I think there's another level of just atmosphere and presence and power. And their healing word. That'll get people healed. You've got to create a culture of faith and action. That's what I'm doing right now. You've got to create a culture of faith and action with the Word of God. Because the power of God does not work without the Word. A mouth that's full of the Word of God will be full of the power of God. I remember some of the greatest revivalists that God used in healing in the late 40s and 50s, like Oral Roberts. They would never have healing services without teaching every day on healing. Just kind of the mornings would be devoted to teaching on faith and healing and the word. And then people would be ready to get healed at night. William Branham would come and pray for the sick. And, you know, the others would teach. And there would be a culture created of the word and power. We need to have that again. It can't just be gifts. We've got to have the word. We must remove the negative thoughts. I think that's one of the most important keys I've learned about building an atmosphere for miracles is not just removing negative thoughts, but people. Chase them out of the room. Preach them out. Preach the religious spirit out of the room. Sometimes you've got to get it out of the room. Jesus had to get them out of the house so he could raise the dead. I've literally said, man, you're just too toxic. I, I'm sorry, but I need to have you go because you're not in faith. You're not in an expectation right now. And I'm, I'm, I need a group of people around me that really believe this can happen. And that can, that can be duplicated into whole meetings. Where there's just way too much, you know, skepticism or negativity or unbelief. And you need to have those things removed before you can move in healing. You, sometimes you've got to have those voices in your family. As loving as they are, as natural as they are, that's the problem. And you get too many doctors in there and voices in there, and pretty soon it's hard to believe God. So protect your 
healing seed when you go after it. Lord, we thank you today for presence and power. Let's just go ahead and just kind of shift gears for a moment. I feel the Lord coming down and touching somebody's uh, right shoulder, the top. If that's you, I want you just to move your shoulder. Maybe heat. Is that you over there? You're moving your shoulder. Can you feel something like a, it's almost like a hand or a pressure coming on the right shoulder right there. The Lord's pressing down on it right now. We command healing to flow into that shoulder in Jesus' name, into the nerve, any kind of pinched nerve. You feel that? The Lord's just releasing that, and you're already moving in faith. That's awesome. Jesus. I just felt the Lord touch my stomach kind of here on the right side. And uh, I don't know if you had an ulcer or like a hernia, but on the right side on your stomach. Does that mean anything to anybody right now? The Lord's just touching you. Is that you in the back? Lord, just touching your, your stomach right here. I almost feel like uh, things kind of moving, any kind of a irritable bowel or anything like that, Lord, it's going to be totally healed. And you won't even have the, the acid, let alone the, the, the buildup or the hernia or the heartburn kind of thing, you know, acid reflux. The Lord's healing it all in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Um, I got the word here about a mammogram. I've had this word for about a week about a mammogram, breast cancer, breast tumor. Does that mean anything to anybody in the room right now? Maybe somebody's sister. I'd love to pray for you if you have somebody with a breast tumor or breast cancer, if that means anything to you. Okay? So the Lord's been speaking to me for a week. I was in Memphis, and I had a word from the Lord about a mammogram. And that could even just be in the testing stages, let alone full diagnosis. But I, I felt like the Lord was declaring the healing word over that. So it's done and settled in Jesus' name. And we do have people watching the broadcast on Facebook, you know, wherever you're watching from. You can reach out and be touched and healed as well. Um, I was going to say arthritis, but I actually think it's the name, Art. You know, you know Arthur, but you go by the name Art. Um, is that meaning to anybody in the room right now? I feel like Lord's just going to move. How many of you remember the evangelist Arthur Br uh, Burke? I'm thinking about that right now. And he had an old prophecy about Smith Wigglesworth and an, an anointing that would come in a hundred years that would be like another Azusa, another great Pentecost, an outpouring of signs and wonders. And I don't know why, but his name just kind of popped in my spirit, Art Arthur Burke. And I really feel like that means something to somebody here as far as a promise from the Lord. It was an old Smith Wigglesworth impartation and prophecy on that. So I'm just going to throw that out there if that means anything to you. It means something to you, does it? A couple of you. Just grab a hold of it right now and see it manifest in your life. See it manifest in your children's children. See God uh, release the heritage and the legacy of revival on that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And I just, uh, enzymes in the liver, the liver enzymes being high. Somebody in the room. Who is that? Enzymes, liver? Come up here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And then... um. I got my lower back right in the tailbone area of the lower back. Something happened where you broke or fractured, almost like there's a crack. I mean, you're not crippled or anything, but you do have like a, a arthritis, kind of something that's set into your, your spine, the lower part by the tailbone after some injury that you had years ago or whatever. You might get a lot of adjustments with the chiropractor, but now like an arthritis 
uh, has stepped in. So liver enzymes, can you come stand over here and just face me? Can I have just a catcher? Just lift your hands up real quick. Lord, I command every part of the liver that's damaged uh, to function again in Jesus' mighty name. And uh, every other uh, uh, gland in your life, adrenal gland, all the other glands, like hormonal, all the other glands in your body are going to begin to work properly again uh, with the liver in Jesus' mighty name. Bam! Hallelujah. Lord, we release the anointing for that. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody's going to get a new uh, lower part of their spine and the tailbone. That's you. You can come up here. Uh, I don't have to just have everybody come up, but I, you know, sometimes we'll have people come up, especially if there's going to be more than one person. Just come and stand right here. And then here's a, I got a rubbing sensation in my right leg. Just kind of describing, not every word of knowledge is felt. I, I see them more than I feel them, or I just have a divine knowing. That's how I get the word of knowledge. But sometimes I feel them, and I feel a rubbing sensation in my right leg. Is that you? Now, have you done, had a rod or any kind of surgery done to your leg? I've had two knee surgeries, and it's affected the stability in my whole right side. And I just feel the Lord rubbing my leg in that area, and, and I just know you're being healed. Do you feel any sensation like fire or heat or anything at all? Well, just go ahead and lift your hands up. And we thank you, God, for just rubbing his knees until they're totally healed. Bam! I literally felt the sensation of like God rubbing my upper thigh right into my knee. So I know that's going to be healed in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. What's that? Mine's in the joint. Of the Lord, we command. What, what is it? The, the socket joint. The socket joint. Yeah. It's in your what? Hip? Right leg, yeah. In your right leg. Yeah. It's the socket. Yeah. What is it, deteriorated? It's cracked. Lord, it's cracked. Come on, stretch forth your hand. Lord, we pray that the crack in the joint, in his hip and leg, this whole area that your hand would come on him right now. It's like a massage sensation I had. That God would just begin to rub the joint and begin to cause the joint and the crack to be healed. I'm just rubbing his head. But I pray all the way into your spine too. <laughs> that God would just begin to move and just begin to Holy Ghost massage until things begin to work again. And sensation comes back into your legs and your body. All of it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, do you feel any movement or sensation as we're praying right now? No, I just feel I better. Just grabbed it in faith real quick and came up. came because I know what it works. I have, I've seen it done before. Amen. I give it out. Yeah, amen. I was going to say, you, you're just such a lover and so passionate about releasing healing. and yeah, give it out all the time. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let him give it out in a double-portioned manner with power and all this great. Wow, he is dripping and oozing the honey and the glory and the wine in Jesus' name. Man, we declare and command that joint to be healed in his leg right now and his spine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My job is to, you know, declare what I see and do what we do, and God does the rest. So everybody just lift their hands up. I'm going to come down the line. Everybody's here for like a tailbone thing. So, Lord, we command in the name of Jesus healing. Again, there's no special prayer. It's just here's the anointing. Get under the anointing, and that's where the healing is. We command healing under the anointing. Bam, Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Bam, healing in Jesus' name. Right when I went to give her a little bam right there in Jesus' name, I literally felt like there was a swelling on the frontal lobe like a trauma to the brain, like a, a swelling of the brain. If that means anything to anybody, like a tumor or brain thing, come up here right now in Jesus' name. Power of the Holy Ghost right there in Jesus' name. Lord, we just pray and declare and release healing power right there. We thank you, God, for a ministry of healing power, miracles right there. I also felt 
Now, this is really going to be going for it. Maybe you're watching or somebody in the room. I'm going to just say it. I felt like a part of my vocal cord was paralyzed. Like, if that's even possible, that just a part of the, the vocal cord in your throat. This feels to me like a swallowing esophagus, but literally as if the nerves are damaged and aren't working in a part of the muscle that works in your, your throat area. Does that mean anything to anybody? It could have been some kind of even crushing or trauma or something's happened where the actual muscle that works in the throat. Is that you or the, or the child? Come on down here a little closer. Be bold. Remember, receiving miracles also requires boldness. For four months when she was born. On a vent and it damaged the throat. Um, so she gags a lot. And so sometimes I wonder if there's something in there that maybe just. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Right when I'm praying for this child, this may be totally unrelated, but as I laid hands on this child and just waited for presence, I kept thinking of an irregular heartbeat or like a murmur of the heart, like a hole in the heart, not here. And there, I don't know if you know somebody else, but, but I, I see you around other children and healing happening, and the Lord using you to release healing. So I don't know what you do, daycare, mother, children's ministry or anything like that. I see children around you. And uh, being touched and healed. But not here. I'm not, not declaring this condition. But when I laid hands on the child, I felt like no ventilator damage. There's nothing. It's all good. It's all good. But then I got this other word of knowledge about a child with a heart murmur. Does that mean anybody in the room? Maybe the child's about this age and has an irregular heartbeat or a heart murmur. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name. You've got to be careful to clarify sometimes because if you start speaking things, people think you're diagnosing conditions. I was in a meeting one time where a man came up to me and I touched him and I looked at him and I said, I got this word about stomach cancer right now. And he said, man, I don't know what that means. And I said, I don't know, but it's so strong. And he said, I don't have stomach cancer. And I said, well, I'll just bless you today and just, bam, release the anointing. Two weeks later, he went to the doctor and he had a, a, a test that was being done and they found out he had stomach cancer. Now, I picked it up. It was already there before the doctors diagnosed it. We didn't speak it into existence. But it was there. And we touched him and diagnosed this condition, you know. And that happens sometimes. People get in the prayer lines and we'll know what conditions are before you even know what conditions are. That's a gift of discernment. May the Lord release that. How many who want to see that gift? I want to just pray. Lord, release people into the gift of discernment where they just begin to pray for people and be able to discern conditions they have and feel the conditions they have in their bodies so that we can begin to do what we see the Father doing. I thank you for that gift in Jesus' name. Now I've got a ringing in my right ear right now and uh, some kind of damage, like an accident or something you... you uh, punctured like an eardrum or something, something, scar tissues built up in the ear, you've lost some hearing, but if that's you, I want you to come up here, let me pray for you, I think there's a man, yeah, good, come on up here, and did you have an accident, did you, did you puncture the eardrum, do you know? I don't think so, but I just know it. I've had the ringing for a long time. Okay, lift your hands up real quick like that, I told you one of the anointings in our ministry is praying for deaf people, I don't know if there's anybody else in the room totally deaf or totally deaf in one ear. I love to pray for the deaf. So if you're deaf, not partially, but totally would be best. Or totally deaf in at least one ear. Just go ahead and come up here while the anointing's moving. 
I told the story last night in Pakistan of two children we prayed for that didn't even have ears. They didn't have holes. They didn't have ears, no ear parts, nothing. And they both heard and spoke. They were deaf mute, born that way. And they had their hearing restored and they were able to speak for the first time. And they didn't even have ears as far as the holes or nothing. And God healed them. So it's great anointing to go after, praying for the deaf. Are you deaf in one ear? No. No, my ears ring. I'm a sound man. That's actually... Just a ringing on the ear. Okay, great. Lift your hands up real quick. Lord, I thank you for the anointing. And uh, even the ears ringing right now. Thank you, Lord. There's great peace over you. This shalom of God, peace. I saw it over you last night. It's on you again today. Everything that's a disruptive interruption, distraction, it's not internal. It's out, it's out of your power and control. I see out of your hands. And when we're powerless in the day of trouble, this is when the Lord shows up and really moves. And I see him speaking to the contrary waves and winds. Peace, shalom. Every disruptive is just calming. The storms are coming. Jesus is showing up with a bigger miracle than just touching your ears today. Bam! Hallelujah. On the outside, he's moving. And there are troubled things happening in family situations that are just disruptive. And the Lord's moving in those things. You will be able to say great deliverances he gives. So there's going to be a great freedom there. Come over here. Lift your hands up. I just felt like... Uh, what it gallstones, gallbladder type stuff? That's uh, you know, stones. You get a lot of stones in your body, and that probably some toxicity thing. Some people just create stones and gallstones and kidney stones and everything. Come stand over here, right here. Yeah, right here. Good. That's good. Perfect. Oh shoot! Did you feel that? You shocked, right? Did you feel? Man, I. Okay, lift your hands up real quick. Now, is your ears? Is that why you're here? Lots of hearing my left ear. Are you totally deaf? No. Just partially. Bam! Ha, ha, ha. Lord, thank you for the anointing right now. Now, can you feel any sensation or, or anything happening right now? Obviously, you're under the presence of God. Can, do you have any increase or any volume or any sensation? Need to be in a quiet space? No, no, it's better. What's happening? It's better. It's better right now? You can hear more, like clear? Thank you, Lord. I touched your stomach, and I got another word. And I always say, usually when I touch somebody and I feel it, if it's not for them direct, it'll be for somebody in their family or something. But when I touched you, I really started thinking about the abdominal wall in the stomach. Does that mean anything to you or, or somebody you know in your family? Okay, does that mean anything to anybody in the room? Boom. Like the actual wall, the stomach wall tore or something happened. Okay, come up here. I remember when the Lord, we should just go after this. I remember when the Lord was showing up in meetings I was doing in Florida with a very special, unusual, extraordinary anointing. And it was to remove scars from people's bodies. And I remember when it came into the room, I just kind of, I, I said, somebody in the room had, they were opened like a C-section or something. 
and the Lord's healing you right now, and there will be no scar. And this woman went into the bathroom immediately after that prayer, and she had like a, a two-inch scar from one hip all the way to the other, and it built up scar tissue, and the scar like disappeared. So when they came out and gave the testimony, there were multiple people that were in the room that had scars from like old surgeries, and some of them would have like their whole leg would have a scar, car accidents, you know, not just C-sections, but all these other things. And they would be healed. Like there were probably three or four testimonies immediately of people that were cutters that would cut themselves. And they had all the scars on their arms. And one young lady had all the scars disappeared. She had brand new skin. And then we had another woman uh, watching, had a daughter that was so bitter. Her daughter said, well, I came out of you, mom. And if Jesus loves you and me, why would he make your body so ugly? And, and she struggled to believe that God loved her mom and loved her because her mom's body was so destroyed after complications with pregnancy and giving birth and a C-section. And her mom was always so conscious and, you know, insecure about this. She had a two-inch, three-inch uh, scar built up all the tissue, and, and she was watching these miracles that were happening where people were having these scars disappear from their bodies. And she kind of just prayed, God, you would do that for me. That would be awesome. And the power of God came on her, and the scar vanished. She immediately went to her daughter, who wasn't a Christian at all, bitter, and said, look what Jesus did. Pulled up her stomach, and the daughter saw, fell into the power, and got saved. And there was just an anointing for removing scars. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be that dramatic, but I, I do feel like we need to believe God, beauty for ashes. So what do you bring God? Ashes, and what does he give you? Beauty. And, and when I started going after what I called beauty for ashes anointing, people that were disfigured with conditions from birth were being healed. Like all their crooked teeth would be made straight in their mouth. People had physical features on their face that would be healed. They were insecure about uh, their face, and God healed their face. And then God would remove like the scars and the marks on their bodies from abuse, from cutting, from suicide, from C-section, from surgeries. I haven't felt that anointing in a long time, but I kind of feel the Lord stirring me a little bit right now to just be out there in faith for you to just take your hand, put it on any part of your body where you might have some uh, really insecure disfiguration kind of thing, and believe God, even a birth defect, and you're watching me, and I'm speaking the word, and I'm commanding and praying for the scars to just kind of disappear from your body, especially if they're connected like suicide, death, or cutting. I think there's an anointing here. You mentioned last night having two resurrections from the dead recently, two people that had hung themselves, and then the church praying, and they were raised from the dead. But I really was just kind of stuck on the idea that they had both committed suicide, hung themselves. And then I thought of the spirit of death and suicide, and then it's coming around even now. I'm feeling like that cutting, that self-hate, and then that suicidal spirit. That's what God's given you victory and authority over here in Columbus, here in the church. And you're going to see a lot more people set free from the spirit of death and hopelessness, despair, and suicide. It'll be the anointing of the garment of praise for heaviness. It'll be the anointing of uh, the oil of joy for gladness. It'll be the anointing of uh, beauty for ashes, where people will come and bring everything in their life that's ash. And you'll say, here's a divine exchange. I give you beauty. I give you beauty. So that anointing is moving for a minute. And whatever way you want to see it come, say, God, give me beauty for my ashes. My relationship is ash. My marriage is ash. My business is ash. 
my body, whatever it is, and God's going to give you beauty. He's going to make beautiful out of the ashes and rubble. So, Lord, I pray for that, and I rebuke the spirit of death, hopelessness, heaviness, depression, despair, and we declare beauty for ashes, the garment of praise, the oil of joy for gladness. Now, come on over here and let me pray for the scar, but there are scars going to be removed from bodies. You might get out of this meeting, get home, go to the bathroom, check, and you're going to realize a scar disappeared. How many can believe God for that? That's just an awesome. So, Lord, disfigurations, birth defects, scars being healed in Jesus' name. Sometimes you just got to go after it. I remember the first time I felt the nudge from the Holy Spirit to just pray for miracles in people's mouths. Having no idea people would get gold teeth and gold crowns and fillings. And I saw God remove braces from people's mouths, supernaturally straighten their crooked teeth, supernatural root canals, gold teeth, all kinds of stuff. Because I felt the nudge from the Holy Spirit. Didn't see it, just felt this nudge. And I said, God, I pray for the glory and the gold anointing. People just open their mouths wide and you'd fill it. And people start getting dental miracles. You need to believe God if it's in your mouth. You put your hand up on your face, God will give you beauty for ashes. He'll give you a new face. He'll give you new teeth. He'll give you new gums. He'll give you new nerves. There's an open heaven for that kind of stuff. So what did I call again? A stomach opened? They opened you up? Yeah, yeah. Two years ago, from here to here. This is like the stomach muscle has been weak since. Stomach muscle. You believe the word I'm speaking right now? Yes. You feel any sensation as I've been speaking? Yes. What do you feel? I'm feeling just a real peace and just God just here. He's he's. Now put your hand there right now. Somebody else, did anybody have a ruptured organ? Was that you? You had a rupture? Was it a hernia? The ruptured. I felt it when I touched you. Not affected by that anymore in Jesus' name. Lord, even remove the scar, put new skin. He didn't have to, but he gets to. The problem with the church is they go, why gold teeth? Why would God remove scars? And You don't get to figure out the why. He's God, you're not, be okay with it. Why do we feel the need for an infinite God to let us in on why he does things the way he does, or to who he does it to when he does it. I've got questions too in areas of my life and body or family where I need to see healing that aren't healed. And yet God ministers the ministry of healing. I see people get healed all the time of things my mother was never healed of. And I ask all the time why, but by faith we understand. It's not for me to know the mysteries. I love, how many of you need to be okay with mystery? Why is it we're not okay with the mystery? The gospel was a mystery. The mystery. I love the mystery realm. All kinds of hidden things for us to discover. Why are you here? When I was 19, I was diagnosed um, with ulcerative colitis, the worst that they'd ever seen, um, the worst that they'd ever diagnosed. I had over 1,000 ulcers in my colon. In the over 1,000 what? Ulcers in my colon. and I 1,000 ulcers in your colon? And I still have all those scars. And I'm Lift your hands up right now. I've got a word. It started with the stomach. Then it was ulcers. Then it was scars. So why wouldn't that be you? Since you were 19, you've suffered with the scars, which affect how you digest in food and reactions. I'll tell you what, Lord, remove the scars. Ah, whew. I got drunk praying for her. Now, we get to flow right into this tonight, 6 o'clock. Is it 6 o'clock? 
Saturday night, say 6 o'clock. Now, how many of you have social media? Anybody have Facebook, social media? Could you do a post? I'll be here tonight, Sunday morning, and then we'll be on to Pickerington Sunday night. And then I'll be on to Cardington Wednesday night, just a meeting, and then up to Stryker. We're declaring Ohio ablaze, but uh, this is going to just keep going. But why are you here? I have a gallstone. Now, hold on. I just feel like a real Holy Ghost interruption thing happening here for a second. Like we're going to speak the word to somebody. I don't know if it's a mother or grandmother. The healing word is going to go to somebody in your family. Just speak it with me. Psalms 107, 20. He sent forth his word. His, his power to deliver people of destruction. This miracle is going to go beyond to you, but through you. And I just see the Lord bringing revival breakthrough in your home and your family. So that's a promise for everybody, but it's a now promise for you. And you won't carry that burden. And so I feel like the Lord's breaking through. And I had to bring a specific word of promise out of Psalms 107.20 that he's sending his word and he's healing. But really he's bringing revival breakthrough in your family, in your home, in your household. But I feel like they're, you know, international. They're at a great distance. But there's no distance or time in the glory. So believe the power of God's going to go all the way there. And uh, a revival will break out in that place. So where is it that I'm praying for? India. I'm telling you right now, whatever city or village they're in in India, the move of God. I've been to India many times. So, But the move of God that's going to break out in their city, in their village, the church, the ministry that's there, the pastor that's there, is going to have a breakout of signs, wonders, and miracles connected to your family that are probably in ministry, leadership. I see the move of God happening right now. But anyways, um, whatever I was praying for for you. Come over here, come over here. I can barely move, so come to me. Come to me, come to me, come to me. The anointing is just kind of getting heavy now. Just come a little closer. Why, why are you here? Um, my abdominal wall is separated from pregnancy. Okay, go ahead and lift your hands up real quick. Can I just speak something out that's really going for it here? I'm out on a limb. But I felt the Lord said, learning disability, OCD. To speak that's being healed right now in Jesus' name. I mean, somebody might have to grab that for somebody, a child or a grandchild. But I, I see like a condition of a, like their compulsive disorder, OCD they call it. I see the Lord delivering somebody from that. It's rare that you hear people pray for or talk about learning disabilities, but I really feel like OCD is being healed right now. And when the anointing showed up that I've been talking about tonight for the scars, the anointing for not just like learning disabilities, OCD, but the anointing for um, like autism showed up. And I had more testimonies of the healing of autism in, in one period of time than any other time in my ministry. It was like almost every meeting, somebody was healed of autism. So there's times these special, unusual, extraordinary type anointings come, and I really feel like if you go for it right now, somebody's being healed and set free of OCD, but, you know, reach right out into the realm of believing autism and uh, attention deficit disorder and every other kind of learning disability. In fact, you might work, somebody in here, is there like a woman or somebody that works in here with uh, learning disabilities, with, with children with learning disabilities? Does that mean anybody? Okay, good. Power, Holy Ghost, and you have a passion for these kind of miracles. See, it's already on you now, saith the Lord, in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, bam, whatever you got, you're healed of. 
I, I see i got to preach this word. Kidney function. One kidney is not functioning in full capacity. could be the right kidney, like a 30% loss. And the Lord's speaking out the restoration and the healing of your kidney now in Jesus' name. So if you want to stand here, you'll get that. Now, you work with kids? Is that why you came up? That's right. Yeah. Now, do you do missions in the mission field kind of thing? Um, yeah, sometimes. There, I see there's so much more for you in missions in the nations working with children, even at risk, and being anointed like a, like a hero to rescue and help children advance beyond just in an education, but really the Lord's going to use you as an equipper, as a teacher. You know what I'm saying? Spiritually. So I want to just pray for a fresh anointing on you for that. Hallelujah. You may even establish like homes, schools, different things. Yeah. I'm a teacher. Where? Uh, Harvest Prep School. What do you do? I teach third grade. And I- Lift your hands up. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Now, I immediately thought of the healing of somebody, maybe you know somebody, Lyme's disease. It's a kind of a rare condition, but like an environmental weakness, fatigue, that kind of thing. I feel like the Lord's going to bring healing through your life. Your story is already so much healing. If I could, and I won't, but if I did, kind of open up the Pandora's box of the things God's let you overcome already. And how he's going to use that testimony to bless women, overcomers, and the healing. Man, the, the, the scars are not scars. The wounds, the scars, they're badges of honor. Sometimes you just got to say enough to know that you know that the Lord knows. Hi, now why'd you come up here? Uh, the right kidney for my dad. He has prostate cancer, and the cancer was um, blocking his kidney, so he lost function in his right kidney. Okay, everybody stretch forth their hand right now and just uh, rebuke the spirit of death, cancer. And we're praying for the kidney function. So God would not want to just restore kidney function and not heal cancer. Bam! Holy Ghost, do it. Right when I said that, I heard the Lord. Now, not every word of knowledge do I get do I get by hearing, but some of them come by hearing, like a voice. It's usually the angel of the Lord will just, you know, actually talk to me. And he said bronchular, bronchular, the tubes, which means some kind of a respiratory um, scarring of the lung. Could be a COPD, a weakness of the lung and the respiratory has to do with a bronchitis, but a bronchular, the tubes, it's probably gone on for a lot of years. And the Lord wants to just heal you. Bouts of pneumonia, that kind of thing. That means anything, buddy. Come up here real quick. Now, why'd you come up here? Um, sudden hearing loss in my left ear. And right that took you a long time to get up here. It shouldn't take that long. Well, it's not. It was severe. Some of it's come back. But I also have right. You claim in Nahum 1-7 that the Lord will make an utter end to it and it will not rise again. Yeah, that's right. You are. Some of you need to stand on this word today. Nahum 1-7. Bam, and believe God, he'll make an utter end to it, and it will not rise again. Holy Ghost, it will not rise again. Any condition in his body, his hip, his ears, power of the Holy Ghost, just move upon him today. I feel like as you come under the stronghold and the umbrella of the promise, you're going to begin to stay totally, fully, uh, not regressing, but taking ground. Boom, in Jesus' mighty name. Maintaining, taking, taking back the land.
How about that for a word right now? Somebody's literally taking back the land. I mean, you were a possessor of land, property, a house. It was taken from you. Does that mean it? literally? Not, not, not just, like, like there, it's been taken from you. The Lord said you're going to take back the land. He's going to give you back the house, the property. You're going to be the entire the right to, and possessor. Okay, you know what I'm saying? That's a word from heaven. And that is a sign that everything else in your body, bronchular, is going to be healed. Is that You came up for that word, the bronchular? You're going to be healed. And God's going to give you back the land. Bam, Jesus' name. Okay, why here? I'm, I'm a teacher. I work. You're what? I'm a teacher. Okay, good. Well, handicap, disability, learning disabilities? Kids are. Okay, lift your hands up. Lord, give them an anointing for that kind of thing. Now, listen, in my school, my healing school, when I was probably, you know, 23, 24, Lord gave me my first real big, like, revelation on how to get people free from a stronghold. And one of the first strongholds the Lord ever showed me was the deaf and dumb spirit, which I started teaching on, you know, faith and the deaf and dumb spirit and exposing and talking about how to see people healed and set free from learning disabilities specifically. And I was really anointed at that time. And I remember like Bill Johnson would bring me to Reading just to teach on the deaf and dumb spirit. And I went to Toronto. I went, you know, Mike Bickle and Kansas City just to teach on the deaf and dumb spirit. And just about everywhere I went for a period of about two years, I was ministering and talking about the deaf and dumb spirit and how to be free. Because the Lord gave me a revelation about like people with attention deficit disorder, OCD, autism, uh, dyslexia, uh, you know, people that were kind of slow or, you know, things with their memory, stuff like that. And I started to see a lot of success. Like, I mean, one meeting I did in Minneapolis when I said, deaf and dumb spirit, go. A hundred people were healed to deafness in one meeting. And so I was going everywhere teaching on the deaf and dumb spirit. And I haven't felt that anointing in a long time. But I really feel like people are being anointed to deal specifically with praying with disabilities or handicaps, especially children. And when the anointing was moving at its peak, I would have people that could never read and I'd pray for them and they immediately would have the ability to read, immediately, without learning. People that saw everything upside down, backwards, would see it correctly. People that uh, had autism or people that had uh, you know, compulsive disorders or bipolar, schizophrenia, were all healed when we dealt with the deaf and dumb spirit. So I really feel like that's an anointing God's given to people that want to have that. And uh, at the same time, you can recognize the beauty. You know, I've, I've met children with Down syndrome, beautiful, gifted, creative. And yet I've had somebody in our ministry um, heal the Down syndrome, and even their physical features were healed. They didn't look like somebody with Down syndrome. They were so healed. But in no way would I say somebody with a handicap or with a condition, a learning disability or a Down syndrome type condition isn't beautiful and loved and, you know, but we should really believe to see these kind of healings with mental illness, with madness, with insanity. I think that's really where the church is going. People are going to come into their right mind. So receive that for that in Jesus' name. And I do teach on that in my school, in the healing school that I talked about today. Just the deaf and dumb spirit would be worth the whole school. God will give you some keys on how to do deliverance ministry. So why are you here? Um, ADD and at times trouble communicating. Is that what you're saying you have? Mm-hmm. As we're just blabbing about it here. So receive it. Lord, we command every place where the deaf and dumb spirit in the brain works. 
loose, and I'd pray for supernatural ability. Listen, I got set free from what I call a deaf and dumb spirit, and I had a supernatural photographic memory. I usually can read a book in an hour and retain everything. I look at something and read it once and remember it. That's why I can preach well. I mean, I've, I've had an ability to put together Scripture, memorize Scripture, uh, know how to kind of put together the Word of God, you know, write books. I've got a grade-eight education. They, they called me like a DEF average in Canada. Never finished. You didn't get a GED. Didn't go on to have a business degree. And the Lord's literally given me a gift in the prophetic that's made my brain brilliant. As a business person, as a, you know, an author, as a preacher, and it's come to me as a gift. But I grew up slow, poverty, drugs, prison, a suicide attempt at 16, three drug overdoses by the time I was 18. And then God gave me a mind and the, and the ability my mind has, the way I look at things, the way I think. I, I really credit it to the gift of the spirit of revelation and illumination. You know, Bob Jones, how many of you heard me talk about Bob Jones? He was delivered from a mental institution. That's where he got his gift of revelation. People go, Bob Jones was in a mental institute several times. And then we, he went on to have one of the most brilliant minds. And I asked the Lord about it. And Bob told me, he said, listen, my mind is only brilliant because of the spirit of illumination and revelation. So people are getting that gift right now. And that's what's coming over you. Why you come up here? Broken finger. I'm sorry? Okay. Lord, I just pray right now that there would be such a manifestation of love and peace and ne never fear, right? I just pray for that over you, peace and love and no fear, no anxieties. Lord, I just thank you for the absolute liquid, tangible love of God, breaking through, perfect love. I'm praying and commanding healing to flow. Let your power come upon every part of her imagination and brain. I submit my brain to the Lord all the time. I really do. I submit my imagination, my, my thoughts to the power of God. I bring my brain under it. That's the renewing of the mind. It's, it's the word, but it's also the power. Thank you, Jesus. Now there's a few more people over here. Who, who, who came up over here and why? What word of knowledge did I give? Autism. How you doing? Sorry. You got some music going on in there or what? Oh, okay. Just from the noise, sudden noises and stuff? Did he just react to that? How long has he had it? Okay, so it's also in there. Well, I'm talking about the deaf and dumb spirit, right? It's really a revelation, and we have authority. So, Lord, I've seen people come into their right mind instantly. I've got to command the parts of his brain chemically. I believe it can be chemical people. I believe it can be a physical. And then the enemy takes advantage of those traumas, doesn't they? And he can, now it becomes an oppression. But we command in those places where the enemy thinks he has authority. And we command his brain to become so sharp and brilliant, it would just change. And we command every place of fear and torment to loose the torment being broken over your life. Torment, 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 torment. He's got such a love for God, such a peace, really. Felt such a great presence. How you doing? Can you shake my hand? How about a pound? Bam. Awesome. And, and same, similar? Similar condition? You, you bring them into your home specifically? To, okay. Beautiful. Two? Great. Thank you, Lord. We pray today for these children to be so set free. 
whoa. Lord, we command the fear and the torment and the place in his mind that's most tormented to be loosed by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Right now, right now, right now. Bam! In Jesus' name. Lord, we release the anointing. Thank you for the anointing. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. I think that's a real stronghold, isn't it? Go ahead and lift your hands up for a moment. We're going to just continue tonight. Pray for everybody Saturday night. Go right into tomorrow morning. I have a prophetic word for 2018 about breakout favor I'm going to bring tomorrow morning. You want to just kind of hear God for the year. I have a prophetic word that I've just spoke once when I got it. And I really believe the Lord's given us some promises for the year, for the new year. And I'd like to share that tomorrow morning about breaking out into the favor of God. But Lord, right now I pray for miracle workers, people to be anointed in this room as workers of wonders. Not just the healing realm, the miracle realm. God, I pray the creative, notable miracle realm, the anointing, the mantle, to consistently operate in notable, remarkable signs, unusual, special type miracles. There's a reason the Lord highlighted special, unusual miracles. I feel like there's going to be a company of people that will be known for the operation of special, unusual, extraordinary type miracles. You as a ministry in a church will have a culture of special, unusual, extraordinary. In addition to all the other miracles, there's going to be a special grace upon this culture and community to operate in the place where you could call it special, unusual, extraordinary type miracles. So, Lord, we're going to go for that. We want to release that and decree that over a company and a community, a culture. We thank you, Holy Spirit, Peter's shadow. We thank you, Lord, for how Paul prayed over aprons and handkerchiefs. We thank you for those moments with Elisha and Elijah where you reached and you did very unusual, creative, multiplication-type miracles. That this would be a, a community known for the special, extraordinary, even unusual acts of God. And Lord, I want to be anointed for that in this next season. Not to be limited. I thank you for healing, but I thank you for the working of miracles. As we begin to go after that. And part of how that anointing is going to manifest is with those that are going to get a new understanding of deliverance ministry. That was one of the last words Bob Jones had for me before he died. He said, I see sudden deliverances where authority comes and you speak the word and people come into the right mind and the right thinking. Bipolar, schizophrenia, People totally insane coming into their right thinking immediately without process. And he said, there will be such great deliverances. And we have gone on in the last few years to have some pretty extraordinary deliverances where we've had people in their right mind. You know, at least three times, I can think, of people that literally were shackled with chains, hand and feet. They were so insane and tormented that they had to shackle their hands and their feet, and they were set free. Take the chains off. 
that kind of deliverance. And I really feel like the Lord's mantling people that are saying, man, Lord, we need that in the church. Jesus spoke the word, and they came into their right thinking, didn't they? He just would have a word, and people would be set free from demonic power and torment. And, to, you know, the church has kind of lulled itself into a place where, well, Christians can't have demons. You know, or, and if they can, do you believe they're possessed or oppressed? And we've petted this doctrine of wanting to understand levels of oppression and possession. And because we don't understand it, we've almost done away with the whole idea of you don't even see deliverance ministry. Because now we counsel it or interheal it or sozo it, which I believe in all those things. But we've literally gone from just bam and people being free of 25 years of addiction or lust or pornography or anger or you know, torment or whatever. We just don't see those kind of things anymore. We're all about process. But I think we need to press in for the mantle of deliverance coming back. <laughs> I love that. The mantle of deliverance coming back. So can I pray that over people? I literally go into countries like Pakistan and have hundreds set free. Listen, we got problems today that are still problems, and you're a Christian, and we have these problems, and you've done everything to be free from them, and 20 years later, you still have the problem. Maybe you should entertain the idea that it's a demon. Why can't anxiety be a demon? Like, we've gone the opposite now. Where everything was a demon, now nothing's a demon. We're just way too smart. And way too intellectual. But I, I would suggest years of problems without being able to get free and you prayed about it and you fasted and you've gone to the altar and you still got it, it might be needed to be treated as a demonic power and rebuke it. So, Lord, I pray right now that over this place would be the mantle of deliverance. You're going to release a whole new company and a whole new breed of ministries of deliverance moving in that kind of authority and power. We're pressing in, God, for not just special, unusual miracles, but we're pressing in for the authority and the deliverance to be able to see captives set free. We want to operate in this stuff. And you can feel the holiness of God come into the room on that anointing right now. Lord, I command. Let me just do this on mass. Because... The devil can hear. We do command today in Jesus' name. We command in the name of Jesus every place where demonic power, oppression, every demonic assignment, stronghold, we command the places where the enemy operates to be bound, locked down, shut down. We bind in Jesus' name the work of Satan. And we loose the kingdom of God. We bind the spirit of death, infirmity, and sickness. And we loose the healing realms of God. We loose the spirit of life and resurrection where there's death. We loose the spirit of revelation and illumination where there's learning disability. We loose right now. As it is in heaven, we declare today that, devil, you were shut down, locked down, every place of addiction where you come to steal, kill, and destroy. 
We say in the name of Jesus, through the power and ministry of the Holy Ghost, we break and rebuke those strongholds of demonic torment and lie and sickness, and we command in Jesus' name the full manifestation of healing. Lord, we thank you right now for great deliverances, great victories you give in every place of struggle and torment, grief and sorrow, that we begin to see freedom and full recovery. I believe you'll walk out and walk in where you don't even have, I heard Pastor Jim last night, I love your example of how you know you're free from addiction. You have no craving. That's, I mean, I see people get, they work hard, they go to AA for 20 years or don't miss a meeting for 12 years. And, but the temptation, the desire, the struggle. When I got set free from addiction, drugs and alcohol, I lost all desire immediately without struggle. No, no overnight. God touched me and my desire. And I mean, I was a, a drug addict, 11 years old, alcoholic. Went on to have three overdoses. I was an extremist about everything I did. So I nearly died three times. And when the Lord touched me, I had no desire left for addiction or drugs or alcohol. No desire at all. That was my deliverance. When the Lord does it, you don't even desire that thing sexually. You don't even desire that thing. Now, as a Christian, you fight the good fight of faith. But we also need to begin to believe it's possible to be so set free in the moment. We don't got 10, 20 years. I don't got those many days and years when I work in Pakistan and you have 50,000, 100,000 people. You've got to believe God, there's enough power coming. You, don't, you can't even lay hands on all those people. And why are you standing here? Come up. Come a little closer. What are you believing? OCD and my mental issues. You lift your hands up right now. Just, Lord, I command that freedom. We just opened it up so it's here. We command her mind, we command her emotions, we command everything about her life where the enemy's got her so locked up and wound up, we command in the name of Jesus, loose of the kingdom of God. Woo, glory. Now, I want to just pray this now. Fill her with presence. You're going to come under that peace of God. You're going to come under that heavy weighty. Jesus' name. Now, you know, tonight I'll have prayer lines and lay hands on everybody. I don't know what we're going to release yet, but it'll be good. Can we give the Lord a mighty shout for what He's doing here? We've got to get lunch. Yeah, you've got to get lunch. I've got to get lunch. Our book tables will be open for about 10 minutes.